1: Big news catch-up we got to get to here with Danny. He's going to join me momentarily here. Actually, he already has joined me, but he's just listening on mute right now. Don't say hello, Danny, or say hello. It doesn't matter because you're on mute. Anyway, uh, we're sponsored today by Blinds.com. Excited to go back to their site with this new house that I just got, or at least uh, i mean contract on. And also our friends at Movement Watches, two longtime sponsors of the show. Tons of news to get to. This Joel Bead news just came down today. Injury news as well. And then we're going to bring in Albert Namad to do the Miami Heat preview later on. But first, let's bring in Danny right now. What's going on? Dune Wall, how are you? I am pretty good as well. I When I was just got back from the gym, saw this Joel Embiid news, wanted to catch up on that. And why don't we start there? Because we don't know the full particulars yet. We have to imagine that it's not fully guaranteed. Zach Lowe has described it as one of the most complex contracts in NBA history. You have to imagine there are all kinds of triggers for when it is guaranteed but it is a full max deal five years 148 million we also don't know whether if he were to make all nba this year it would bump up to the 30 percent max either all those details not yet known but we'll assume that he will be making the max for next year and that would leave the sixers now there are a couple of scenarios but as it stands at the moment I project them to have about $25 million in space. Now, that does not include what is almost certain to be a renegotiation and extension contract for Robert Covington that would likely play, pay him around $12 million a year. If that happens, now they're down to really about $15 million in space. But they could also just decline the rookie option of or trade Loca for That would get them up to $21 million. And that's also assuming that they have that first from the Lakers. It doesn't fall into the 2-5 to five range if it does that would uh open up a lot more space there uh, maybe around four million or so and they have their own first round pick as well uh which i project at number 10 that number will go down and they also have on uh, just their number 25 pick from a year ago unclear exactly when he will come over also but uh preliminarily i mean let's you know we'll assume it's going to be something like you know the first two years are guaranteed and then maybe the next year is half guaranteed and then it's you know unguaranteed the last couple of years but it triggers with games played or something like that you know I, i think that's what i'm guessing is probably will be the the structure if that is indeed the case what do you think of it
2: it's hard to wrap your head around just because it's so uncommon. I mean, even like Harden's deal, his his extension had his previous, the one the first one he signed with the Rockets had a, a half guaranteed final season, but even that you kind of thought it was going to it was going to vest and it did, of course. So this is very different and people have asked me like, "Oh, why would the Sixers do this?" And the answer to why the Sixers would do this is because they it seems like they probably got some sort of protection on the final years and it's very possible that an Embiid offer should Sheet would not have had this kind of protection so that's really what they were getting at and also the idea of this being a five-year contract is that the hope is that it'll work out you know in their in their standpoint and also that they will have if you know if he does really well they'll have the ability to use the designated veteran extension at that point on the later end of this contract so i get it from from their standpoint to a degree obviously we have to wait for all the details to get in and from a bead standpoint you lock in that money now you played 31 nba games seems like he's pretty happy with the sixers the risk was untenable with him so it's an absolute from his perspective
1: yeah and we'll see maybe even only the first year is fully guaranteed but you have to imagine at least a couple of them would be and the advantage from the Sixers side they're punting on about seven million in cap space for next summer uh this is not great for teams that wanted to use the Sixers as potential leverage I would say the odds are they probably will not have max space now next summer uh so that's not great news for just free agents in general who are hoping to get like real big max contracts. Uh, And then I think you could have done it one of two ways, right? Like the advantage of doing it now is they get all these non-guarantees on the back end; they're protected from that, right? On the other hand, if you had waited you would have a better idea of whether he had stayed fully healthy this year. That injury risk wouldn't be gone. But if he had played 60 games this year and played at the same level that he had, then, you know, it's a no-brainer, as you mentioned. Like, any offer sheet he got would be fully guaranteed. Any negotiations would probably deal with a fully guaranteed contract. So the team is protected from the absolute worst-case downside scenario, and you have to imagine, too, that maybe something along the lines of, you know, less on a per-year basis but more fully guaranteed was discussed as well. That type of a contract would have more upside from the Sixers, you know, spreading the guarantee out over more years but giving him more of a guarantee. Uh, that could have had more upside for them but also more downside risk because, you know, you could be paying him five years from now. And this is a team that, if he suffers some sort of a career-ending injury, it would still has a lot of young players who are going to be good. And hopefully, will be a, a playoff team even in, in that time period. So, I think this makes sense overall. And B gets to say he's a max player as well. I think that's important, obviously, to most of these players. And so, assuming that the structure is around what we're talking about here, it seems like a pretty fair deal to me for both sides. Is that your assessment, also?
2: Yeah, I, at this point, And of course, there's more that we need to know. And I was thinking earlier today, I was talking with some Wolves writers about the potential of a Wiggins extension and what. What I was the point I was making to them is that I think people need to be a little bit less scared of the three plus one in the new CBA because of the idea that extensions are not broken for the best of those players. Yeah, there is still a risk, you know, like with Gordon Hayward that the players are gonna leave. It, it certainly can happen, but it's a little bit easier to retain them now. So in those best case scenario like best case scenarios that for Embiid's performance this year, that they would have been able to make it work. But you know, that's that's a year away. That's a lot of other th- other factors in place. So the Sixers, like yeah it's interesting I like that you did the lead-in with their cap space because I still think they can get to the place where they can add a high quality to if that's really where they want to go and it's also true that a lot of those guys in the Avery Bradley you know Danny Green Strata probably aren't going to be getting full max contracts they're going to be getting a lot of money but they might not be getting full max and so if they're in the point where they need to move Jaleel Okafor or something like that I think they absolutely can they could stretch that final year of Jared Bayless's contract so they're in that flexibility point where it, they can make it work but they don't they don't have to and that's a that's a pretty good place to be i i am sympathetic to your idea that you know that they, they are kind of putting a lot of risk on this because Embiid's going to get a lot of money now basically through the time that probably definitely that simmons is going to get probably get get see get his money or get his pay, pay grant and then maybe in defaults depending on the structure of the guarantees so this is a risk for the sixers but broadly speaking i mean let's talk a little bit about how good joel Embiid was in those 31 games he played because he was oh yeah
1: I mean it's well right exactly right because I mean that's the fact that we're waiting to discuss like hey if he's healthy is he actually worth this I think that's pretty clear to me and and Bobby Marks actually made an interesting point which is he's now the third highest paid center in the league already now part of that is because you know DeMarcus Cousins uh even like an Anthony Davis you know just the cap has gone up quite a bit but also there are not many centers who are getting just straight up max contracts anymore at least necessarily deserving them um you know I guess DeAndre Jordan Hassan Whiteside fall into that category as as well so part of that is just due to the fact that the cap has gone up enough that he'll be higher paid I, but it's yeah he was one of the best defensive players in the nba maybe he doesn't shoot it quite as well from three but i think he'll grow more efficient as well he got to the foul line just a titanic amount uh he may i think he can be more efficient turn it over less now they actually will have more threats around him and that they're not like oh man he can only play 25 minutes we got to throw it to him every single time um but yeah, it's uh I think this will work out okay and they probably I mean you'd have to imagine there's nothing in the contract that's like just purely non-guaranteed, right? If he just, if he plays the games, you have to imagine and plays at some base rate like it will end up guaranteeing. And I'm glad for Embiid that that he got his money when it's been such a difficult career for him. And we'll see. I mean, this is a risk worth taking for Philadelphia and they at least protect the franchise from the absolute worst case outcomes. All right, we got much more news To get here, but first, this from our friends at blinds.com. I'm really excited now to go back to blinds.com. I have this very small rental property that only had really two windows, and my tenant and I picked something out that really worked for her from blinds.com. I had a buddy in the Boston area who who used and was really happy, got his wife some blackout curtains. She's sleeping a lot better. But we're here in this rental where we have some really bad blinds, by the way. And and now we're really fired up to use blinds.com on this new place which by the way thank you all for listening because uh if it weren't for that i wouldn't be have this new place that i could put blinds.com on uh so the way it works at blinds.com they offer a free online design consultation if you need help getting started i consulted with danielle i'm about to do that again you can send in pictures of your home you get custom professional recommendations in return they'll send free samples make sure everything looks just as good in person shipping is free and if you mismeasure or you pick the wrong color blinds.com will remake your blinds for free so there's no excuse to leave up those ugly looking blinds from the wire any longer for a limited time of course you can get 20% off everything at blinds.com when you use promo code capspace don't forget about that code let them know that you came from us and also gets you the 20% off blinds.com promo code capspace gets you 20% off everything once again blinds.com promo code capspace rules and restrictions apply uh where do you want to go next here danny
2: oh let's talk quickly about norman powell so powell got the what we're calling the josh richard Richardson four years, $42 million. And like Josh Richardson, it looks like it has a player option in the final year. And that's a reasonable, another one of those, like reasonable risk for both sides. Thank you to having a, a slightly not broken extension system.
1: Yeah, that's great. And I think you could make the argument that Powell had more of a pedigree than Richardson. We discussed him on that podcast we did. I think it was only a week ago. If you want to go back and listen to that, some of our veteran extension candidates, really why we thought that this might be a good deal for both sides. It, it, I think we knew that Toronto was going to offer him this. It was just a question whether he was going to take it. And uh he certainly did. And I think it's the psychological effect of hey, this is the most we can offer you. Uh, you know, that was something where when it was a max player and you couldn't offer in the max or you couldn't offer in the max number of years, that was one thing. But for four years and nobody having a great idea exactly of what some of these young players' value is yet, it works out well. And Paul, he could could be a guy who could be tradable on that contract. He is probably going to play a lot of three for them this year. He can guard most threes uh, in the Eastern Conference, probably other than LeBron and Giannis. And he's hitting his three-point shot. So I think it's a solid deal. Maybe not a great one for the Raptors, but one that they really had to do, especially to lock in cost certainty for him. And for him getting above the mid-level, that was really, I think, the trigger point for a lot of these guys. If you can't guarantee that there's going to be a team with cap space above the mid-level and someone's offering you the mid-level above the mid-level for four years, probably want to take. Uh, What's next here?
2: Nicola Batum he has an issue with the ulnar collateral ligament I don't know is it a full tear I think it is a full tear in in his elbow he's going to be out 8 to 12 weeks that is distinctly not great one of the ongoing questions in the Eastern Conference is going to be like can these teams that deal with setbacks hold on basically to a playoff spot I my current instinct I haven't gone through it all the way is that the Hornets have a good shot of that but it does put stressors on them because remember the guys who are most likely to come into this lineup are Jeremy Lamb Who Steve Clifford absolutely does not trust, and outside, outside chance Malik Monk, who is a rookie.
1: Yeah, Batum, that UCL injury is like the Tommy John injury, which you see pitchers get. It's on the inside of the elbow. He is actually in Dallas today. Got a second opinion. We don't know the result of that yet. Uh, Eight to 12 weeks. He said it won't be longer than three months. um, And it's unclear or not whether, in fact, he will need surgery. It is his left elbow, which certainly helps that it's not his shooting elbow. He might be limited trying to finish with his left hand around the basket, even when he returns. But for right now, you mentioned it's Malik Monk time. It's Jeremy Lamb time. MKG is going to have to play a lot more. I mean, Uh, I think their offense could really struggle. Batum was the only other guy who was any kind of a proven playmaker on this team with their issues with the tax. They are very limited if they wanted to try and add talent by trading a future pick. So it's difficult to see where the scoring is going to come from with the Hornets. But I think the hope will be, I mean, if they just have an an elite defense this year, it almost doesn't matter how well they score. They'll still be in the playoff picture
2: in the East. That's a fair point. And as is always the case in these, it puts more stress on the other guys in their lineups to Stay healthy, and that becomes relevant also for Dallas. Dallas is dealing with Seth Curry having a stress reaction in his left tibia. We do not have a timetable for that at this point, and there are a couple different ideas of where they could go. I mean, one of the most logical is that they had considered Nerwins Noel there, but they could kind of keep the same MO and go with Yogi Farrell instead.
1: Yeah, although Curry has a lot more size than Farrell that's going to make Dennis Smith have to guard shooting guards a a lot of the time and and yeah you mentioned the structure of the starting lineup was they're going to go a little smaller Dirk would start at center he'd come in uh, or Noel would come in for him they would give Harrison Barnes most of his minutes at the four now pretty clearly if they want to play their five best players you would really have to move everyone down a position play Noel and Dirk together Dirk playing with a less mobile center but still a center in Andrew Bogut last year really worked pretty terribly so So maybe it's could be Devin Harris. Farrell is the other guy who has some pedigree there. Maybe they'd move Wes Matthews to the two. Dorian Finney-Smith, maybe he sneaks in. You know, that's maybe not so great either. Maybe they could start Dwight Powell, put Harrison Barnes at the three. But none of those are great. And they this is a team that needs a little more offensive punch. Curry was going to provide that. And him being out now, I mean, this sounds like a similar injury to what Bradley Beal had years ago in Washington, the, the recurring tibial stress reaction. And, you know, he would miss a month or two with that sometimes so the fact that it's indefinite I think you know that's probably going to be the type of timetable we're looking at if I just had to guess right now
2: going to Cleveland Jason Lloyd reported today for for the athletic reported that Cleveland is planning to start Love at center and then the reporting came out today from Ty Lue reporting he said it that Dwayne Wade is their starting two guards so at least their lineup at the beginning of the year is going to be Derek Rose Dwayne Wade LeBron James Jay Crowder and Kevin Love as the starting five
1: yeah and now this casts a little more light on Lou's decision that Kevin Love is going to be the starter. And if you want to hear some more about this, uh, Chris Fedor was on from cleveland.com. We talked about the Cavs, obviously, for an hour or so. got into this whole issue. But if you're going to play Wade and Rose together, that means you almost certainly have to have... Kevin Love at center. If you tried to play Tristan Thompson with those guys, it really would be a disaster. This also means, though, that with all of these playmakers in the starting lineup who don't really shoot threes, although Rose's jumper has looked a little bit better this preseason, that and he's been a little bit better as a catch and shoot guy when he can shoot threes off a set shot instead of having to go a jumper off the dribble. But Love is probably really going to get very few chances to run things right now. Like he's going to be nearly a pure spot up option, especially because they don't have the most imaginative side side to side everyone touches the ball type of offense in Cleveland at least to this point uh, but I think I probably would have rather had Jr. Smith as the starter I think that would be better bring Wade off the bench but or, or Rose off the bench and maybe you could have Jr. guard point guards and throw Wade on on whoever the least threatening opponent guard is but given Wade's pedigree the fact that they got him to come there to begin with and remember they that was probably something that's very important to them right you and I don't see Dwayne Wade the same way that the rest of the league or that cleveland does getting him to come there for the minimum and come there giving up basically six million dollars for this season all of that seems to indicate that they at least promised him you had a pretty damn good chance to start and now what happened i think when isaiah comes back him starting will be make a little more sense but again you're running into the idea that Dwayne wade is no longer an efficient player can he be an efficient player now on this team or is he going to continue to just take shots and have a 51 percent true shooting percentage when everyone else on the team is more efficient than
2: him. You brought up the idea that he's he fits in better with Isaiah. I think that he could, but it depends on how he approaches it himself because Isaiah is a very efficient effective offensive player and also Wade and Isaiah together is not exactly the defensive force if if Wade continues to I think he'll be okay in the playoffs, you know, he'll bring the energy at that point. But it, you know, it's something to watch and something that I there are two things that I want to keep an eye on about this. One is Cleveland's second unit offense because they now have a lot of their best playmakers on the starting on the starting five. And they could do a stagger. They could do some other stuff. And the second thing is their help defense because having Jay Crowder and LeBron out there at the three and the four is going to, you know, it'll help on those guys. But now when somebody gets through the first line of defense, you're going to have Kevin Love there. Maybe you'll have Jay and LeBron there at certain points. That's not nearly the same as having Tristan Thompson. Let's
1: go back to Philly here where Rashawn Holmes has a non-displaced fracture in the radial bone of his left wrist. He will be reevaluated in approximately three weeks. You have to imagine it's probably about a month for him being out, he was in competition with Amir Johnson to start at backup center. This might give Jahlil Okafor another shot or two. I saw Okafor in preseason against the Celtics on Friday. He looked awful. I mean, he actually looks to be in better shape. He was trying slightly harder defensively, but even when he tries, he doesn't really quite know what to do. And look to have lost some confidence offensively. I mean, it's good to at least see him looking healthy and spry out there. But I wanted to actually mention this in the Embiid discussion. We're coming up now, October third. 30- 31st is the deadline for Philly Okafor do six million next year do you think if they can't trade him which seems unlikely that they would simply just decline that that option
2: they could especially considering they have Rashawn Holmes for another year yeah he would be an unrestricted free agent at that point but they have Rashawn Holmes and Joel Embiid right now they're making the
1: play Holmes by the way Holmes by the way uh two two years down in that four-year minimum contract hinky special that he signed so he's uh, the same thing as Jokic the same thing as Chandler parsons where he's got one more year here and then he's got the team option uh to at the minimum for his fourth year that could either make him a restricted free agent if it's declined or unrestricted at the end of that four years just so everyone understands that
2: right so so that we'll we'll keep an eye on that i think it's certainly a possibility but i also would hope that if that's coming to the fore that another team would step up like we've talked about that the spurs would have been a logical place for it and just say hey we'll take him at that price just just as a flyer i mean come on it's not that much especially look at all the teams now that aren't going to have cap space this summer they can just go to one of those teams and say hey let's let's make this happen
1: yeah uh, phoenix might be another team that phoenix actually has space right now as well uh, that they could use it with alan williams out maybe he could get into the mix there let him compete with alex len you know some teams should take a shot at him because i mean the Chicago guy should take a average... shot at
2: him even though they have a million centers just because it's a value proposition
1: yeah and i mean we're definitely down on okafor and justifiably so but the guy did as a rookie average seven a game and he was efficient you know i mean and now he did also have the worst net rating of any player in the league last year um which is not good but he wasn't playing healthy and i think certainly the fact that the organization he's been bypassed in the organization here has not helped his development by any means so he's he's a good second draft guy as john hollinger would say here but you know i think there's a reasonable chance that they actually just decline that option uh certainly no chance he would ever resign there you know so as as you have the same thing as you would with uh maybe some of these other guys that you would do there um like
2: the hazonia hypothetical that we talked about um yes, let, let, yes. Let's, let's do an injury let's do an injury lightning round quickly cameron oliver has a broken hand he has a partial guarantee for the rockets he's gonna be reevaluated in four to that was four to six weeks when it happened it might be three to five now sheldon max sad had a has a torn achilles he's gonna have surgery i think tuesday he's gonna be out for a long time my expectation is that washington is going to trade his contract because now they have to pay him they're going to trade him to a team who will then basically cut him so they'll attach money on it to save the luxury tax bill on it but you know that they would still be able to bring him back next season they couldn't bring him back this year but really sad for him yeah
1: and uh just to add add in there as well uh, that for mac good to see at least he's going to get paid he was going to make the team though pretty likely i was very impressed by what he did in summer league i thought he's a a quality defensive player Uh, looked good coming out of miami changed his name from mcclellan to mac which was cool we're talking about sheldon mac not shelvin mac of course uh the point guard for the magic um let's see what else do we have here uh, Her- oh chris Harry- dunn yeah oh yeah 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 chris dunn will meet will miss at least two weeks after a uh dislocation of a finger and that actually broke through the skin so that's pretty disgusting and uh so he right now it looks like jerry and grant has for the time being won that point guard competition also played better than done in the preseason until then uh what we got here
2: not surprisingly harry giles is going to be out until at least january to get his knees stronger mark stein of the new york times reported that i'm excited to say that for the first time yeah
1: it, i think they actually announced it so he he might have been the first to tweet it but they yeah. but they just announced I, i'm it giving i'm
2: giving it's the first time i get to give sanimo credit so I'm, I'm doing that oh
1: good good yeah
2: the morris twins um
1: and, and for giles yeah. uh, quickly here I and mean, you said it wasn't a surprise and i felt that way after he didn't play in summer league and we haven't seen him at all in preseason but this wasn't necessarily supposed to be the deal like I mean, he played at Duke last year. He hasn't acutely suffered an injury since then. He was working out in the workout process. So this wasn't, I didn't get the idea that this is like fate accompli. This is going to be the case for him right now. And I think it, it, you have to imagine that he's at least suffering from continued soreness or, or something like that. I mean, the Kings have a billion centers too, so it's not like they need him, but it would have been nice if he could have at least been trying to develop in, in the D-League right now. And apparently he's not healthy enough uh, to do that despite the fact that we haven't had a report of an acute setback that he suffered.
2: You're killing the lightning round, Nate. But yeah, that's a good I, point. I know. I got, point, well, I,
1: you're the one who decided. You decided to do the lightning round. I'm sorry, I got <laughs> stuff to say on these guys.
2: So, uh since we're already in the non-lightning, let's talk a little bit about the all-star format change. Basically, for those who haven't heard it, they're shifting the format from conference versus conference to the top vote getters in each conference picking the teams. However, they are not changing how the players are selected to make the teams in the first place. So it will still be equal numbers. From the east and western conference my feeling is that this is a minor change that hopefully is a gateway to changing that conference structure that is a much smaller deal than changing it in the playoffs and would be much more fair i understand why they didn't want to do that all in one fell swoop i hope this is a step if it's not it's a disappointment but either way i think they it's won't more agree fun. to
1: do that i, I don't think it's going to happen i hope it does uh, because I, I agree with you it'd be fairer, especially now that we have all this crap that's dependent on all star. although it is at least nice that the paint are some bonuses and contracts still but it is is nice that they change the qualification to get the higher maxes and doesn't include all-star any longer but I, I my guess would be any eastern conference teams why would you vote for that you would rather be like hey we got this all-star paul Millsap on our team like come on down and see paul Millsap. he's so amazing he's an all-star you know he'd love to be able to market like that
2: yeah the drew holiday all-star bid things like that but yeah but you know I, yeah. all, all, all things considered and, and, and it even and, and it
1: not even it even just has like the patina of the of you know drew holiday if he doesn't make that all-star team do they get as much for him in the trade like it just it generally makes guys seem like now you have to pay them more that's a problem for these guys who aren't necessarily that good uh but you i think teams would rather have like gift all-star spots and much like with the playoffs i mean there's just no reason i mean it's not as important but no reason for the east to uh to agree to that um and and we'll talk a lot more too about like you know i'm sure before once the all-star rosters come out we'll do like a mock draft and stuff like this. this is actually gonna be fun i'm looking Forward to to doing this. Still not going to watch the game, uh. But we'll at least like have a little fun well, with picking the teams if you're actually like trying to win.
2: I'll probably watch it this year because I'll probably go. But other if I weren't if I weren't doing that because it's in L. A. this year, so that that part of it is there. Um. But the Morris twins to transition awkwardly, they were found not guilty in their trial, so that is that is all kind of you know in terms of suspensions and all that. I wouldn't expect anything to happen from this point. And Lowry Markinen missed the first pre three preseason games with issues he did play in their most recent one he went, i think one for nine from the field but it was good to see him out there and before chris dunn got hurt we didn't talk about this in the disgusting open open dislocation part but they were alternating between jerry and grant and chris dunn both of whom i think looked better than i expected in the limited amount i have seen of the bulls preseason
1: yeah i think dunn was like one for nine in the one game that he started so i mean he's had like a couple of nice drives looked a little bit more secure shooting the ball but i wasn't wasn't quite that that into it do we do rondo Yeah, we gotta do him. He is out for potentially a a month with a sports hernia let me see if there's anything new on that actually since i made that note uh he's meeting with a specialist today to determine if he needs surgery so uh probably if he does need that surgery six to eight week timetable for him and while we have questioned his fit there in new orleans and they still do need him he still can be a decent player they don't really even have a backup point guard as well so i think they uh this is another hit for the pelicans and you know this is one i'm not sure how much like a sports hernia is really necessarily preventable so whether to put it on their medical staff but uh if it's not their medical staff it's really bad luck
2: the silver lining as it were is that this hopefully allows them to solidify a starting five that does not include Rajon Rondo because I thought that was a very bad fit for where they were going maybe each Moore, more they can do a couple things and they actually added a couple of wings in Tony Allen and and Dante Cunningham so they can work in that way and yeah I mean allows them to do that and and this is another example of why basically giving away Tim Frazier was not the best idea because they even though they had to squeeze every dollar Tim Frazier was a very good value for the dollars that he got
1: well, Last thing I want to say before we get to Albert Navad, Connie Hawkins passed away at the age of 75. He was an ABA pioneer. I actually had just been reading about him, I guess listening about him while I was reading Loose Balls, which is uh, at least in the top five sports books I've ever read. If you've never read that book, uh, you should definitely, definitely read it or listen to it on audible.com slash cap space is your URL to get a free audiobook. You could make it that. Uh, but anyway, the Hawk was a lot of people said wrongly kept out of the NBA due to some assumptions associations that he had i think he didn't really debut until he was 26 or 27 in the aba was one of the best players in the initial aba for the the then pittsburgh pipers and if you watch some of the old highlights of him uh, curtis harris at pro hoops history on twitter has done a nice job of memorializing connie hawkins some of the stuff that he did with his enormous hands and some of the dunks that he had were stuff that like really nobody even can do today like nobody really seems to have hands that are that big i mean even more than like some of those dr j dunks like, he would just, like, bring the ball one-handed around guys and dunk on him. It was really just incredible, the stuff that he was doing for that era. Never really had the career in the NBA when he went to the Phoenix Suns. That would have been hoped. He kind of flamed out early. I think some injuries were involved there. But a guy that it's worth looking back on and appreciating and what limited highlights are available, definitely worth watching if you're sitting at your computer at work or something for a minute or two.
2: Agreed on all that, but uh, unfortunately, we can't let that be the last thing to say, because we forgot about something kind of big, Gary Harris.
1: Oh yeah, I didn't put that in, huh? That's uh, That was negligent, even though we discussed it quite a bit. Four years, 74 million with some incentives that can take it to 84. A trend that we have seen in a lot of these extensions and just in general with these incentives has been agents trying to make themselves look a little bit better. We talked about that quite a bit in the last week or so that you know these contracts are kind of smaller than they had been in 2016. So at least in the initial reporting, the agent can try to spin it as it came out initially and Woj is somewhat complicit in this, but he at least then in his article about it made it clear that it was $74 million guaranteed with some incentives that I don't know exactly what they are, but what I've been told is that they're very difficult to reach and difficult enough to reach that they'll be happy to pay him the $84 million if he does in fact reach them. Uh, so reporting it as, as 84 million they do the same thing in football too you know this is just what happens uh and so we're starting to see a little bit more of that now in basketball trying to make agents look good but at at four years 74 million what do you think of that number for gary harris
2: i think that's pretty close at 84 it bothered me that it didn't seem like they were mitigating much risk but at 74 you know there's a chance that he could get a deal more in that vein as a free agent even though this is a loaded two guard class he's a talented guy who could really show something also could get a lot more attention because he's going to be a part of a sig- more successful team that can be a very big factor and all this is just the added spotlight of oh yeah he's he's a good player and now he's on a team that's making the playoffs you know chance they could win around in the playoffs that could that could really help him i'm a big fan of gary harris i think that he has a nice place on this nuggets team 74 i still think is a little bit high i believe that's higher than we negotiated that we did in the in the rookie extension but it's it's yeah it-
1: yeah in that it was it was 4 for 66 it is what we came yeah, up so with so uh, that's and, uh, more what i was so comfortable i guess I, with. I didn't do a good job
2: <laughs> that's more what i was comfortable but so, so with yeah. but, but at the same but we're, we're, you're in the range there like that you know when we when we do this sometimes yeah. we're you know we're a little bit more aggressive in, in fighting these because we're not dealing with the personalities and everything like these gms are that have to deal with the players every day so that 74 gets it to in the like eh, okay part of this as opposed to the whoa now which was where it was at 84
1: yeah it is still pretty high and i think one thing thing to think about is where is gary harris as a two guard like where does he rank right like if a guy isn't gonna rank you know in the top 10 at his position i think that paying him more than 15 million a year unless maybe it's point guard probably doesn't make a lot of sense right if you think about it, that as like your average starter money right uh you know and, and maybe average starter is more like 17 million a year as the cap is gonna go up, it will go up to 108 they hope in a couple of years so that'll make this number look a little bit better than it is but I agree. I don't. I think that he could very well have been behind in the pecking order. Not a clear suitor for him necessarily. A, a team that's trying to get better, like Philly, for example, not a team I think of as a big threat for him. Unless they had just completely struck out on Avery Bradley and Danny Green, and there's like three other guys who are also kind of you know West Matthews if he had become a free agent. There are a few other guys, and I you can even make the argument that Harris is a little bit more desirable than those guys, but you can't wait around until july 8th to see whether your offer for gary harris gets matched which it probably would anyway you got to get someone that you know is going to be on your team if you're a philly, philly. so really the only teams that they would have had to fear are ones who have a lot of cap space and really kind of aren't going anywhere if they don't get them fine we'll just not really use this space you know that's really the curse of restricted free agency and again not really a lot of suitors that pop out you know maybe dallas if they had the money but maybe Chicago although uh you know apparently they didn't like him too much because they traded him away for Doug McDermott uh, at draft time uh Brooklyn has plenty of two guards already Atlanta has uh, plenty of two guards already you know maybe they could be a, a destination for him but probably not uh so yeah really not a huge threat there but this isn't like so bad that it's going to kill them and I think also with potential tax issues on the horizon getting some cost certainty does help yeah
2: them and we'll, we'll talk about this in a future podcast inevitably but this move in the Norman Powell move are compelling in the sense that it does it puts cost certainty on the nuggets and the raptors but it does make them more likely to be on the tax fringe for next season they could either choose to embrace that and pay it for a year or two or they could move guys off but we'll talk about that in the future but it, it is a an effect of these trades and the value that are the the extensions and the values they got
1: all right well uh bid adieu to danny here and bring in albert namad but first this for movement watches i've never really been a watch guy because it didn't didn't really see the point of them. i'm pretty practical and i was like oh, i can just look at my cell phone and the watches that i like that are really going to be have great style you know it's four or five hundred bucks minimum i don't want to pay that much but then i was introduced to movement watches i'm glad that i was my girlfriend now has one my mom has one she actually bought a couple for my cousins her nieces as well, they all get plenty of compliments as do i on mine and it looks like it's a much more expensive watch but in reality they start at just 95 dollars, and that's before you even get your 15 percent discount with free shipping and free returns with that movement.com slash capspace mvmt.com slash capspace url movement was started by two broke college kids that wanted to wear stylish watches but couldn't afford them and movement watches are founded on the belief that style shouldn't break the bank it, You can get something for $100 or a little bit over it that you're really gonna be proud to wear and that you're gonna get compliments on. Once again, the way to get started with them and of course, let them know that you came from us, movement.com, mvmt.com slash capspace is the URL and that slash capspace URL, easy to remember because we talk about capspace. Ad nauseum here on the show, movement.com slash capspace, join the movement. Coming back for his second go now with our heat preview is Albert Namad. He is the writer for his site, heathoops.com probably the best guy in terms of detail on the salary cap in the uh, blogosphere and also just a a really really devoted follower of the Miami Heat the best guy out there I think to discuss the heat right now how you doing Albert
0: I'm doing well thank you for having me on
1: yeah so this is one of the ones where we always like to start on these by asking how good they were a year ago this is one of the ones where it might be the most interesting of any team and maybe the most relevant uh, because they brought back nearly the whole team but it it was a tale of two seasons for the heat last year
0: it really was in the first half of the season they were 11 and 30 and really just heading for trying to get uh, the worst wreck in the nba maybe a shot at the first overall pick and then in the second half of the season the exact midway point of the season they turned it right around and went 30 and 11 and even that didn't capture how well they played because deon waiters went down in mid-march but that was good for second in, in the nba so it was really a tale of two seasons in one and what was really the the key turning point in in their ability to turn around was one of the most fundamental basketball principles, and that was drive and kick. So they just employed that really well. They averaged 35 drives per game last season, which was first in the NBA, and Waiters and Dragic were the key components of that. They averaged 23 together, which is the highest duo in in the NBA. They just excelled at breaking down the defense. They didn't necessarily shoot all that well at the rim, but what what they did really well was pass out of it to open shooters, and when the Heat knocked down those open three-point shots... That penetration create they won and when they didn't they lost so it was really a, a straightforward type of a scenario for the heat last season they, they shot 41 percent on three pointers in their 41 wins that would have been first in the nba over the course of a full season they shot 32 percent in the 41 losses that would have been worst in the nba over the course of a full season so um it was really just predicated on their ability to break down the defense pass out of it and, and hit their open three-point shots
1: yeah and obviously I, I would you say though that during that 41 game streak that they shot it unsustainably well or do you think that that could be repeated for this year
0: i thought they shot it unsustainably well i th- thought some people didn't shoot as well as they could have um josh richardson being one yeah um um, but I thought a lot of people shot much better than they they probably will over time. Uh, for instance, Deion Waiter shot forty three point four percent on catch and shoot threes last season. Now he is not as bad a catch and shoot three point shooter as some might think. He's actually had very good seasons. Is forty three point four sustainable? No, but I do think forty percent is reasonable. I mean, he shot forty two, I think it was in his in his in his um what was it, his rookie season? Um, yep. And then he's 38 one season, and then he was awful one season. So he's had a little bit of fluctuation. Um, but I, I don't think 43.4% is sustainable. And he's got a, an ankle injury, which which really troubles me. Um, I, I was pretty high on him for this season, but but if he's not fully healed, then that, that could be a problem. Um, so also, um, um, Goran Dragic shot very well from three-point lands. He shot over 40%. He shot 62% on catch-and-shoot threes when he was fed the ball by Dion Waiters. (laughs) so I I talk about three-point shooting a lot but it was really the chemistry between Waiters and Dragic that was so great because I think what the Heat learned is you need to have more than one player to initiate the offense especially when none of those players is a star right you can't just rely upon one to initiate the offense and break down the defense you need to have two and when you have two that are both good at that with which uh, Waiters and Dragic are but they also are each other's best floor spacer that's really the gold standard and that's really what what propelled the heat forward so it wasn't only waiters it wasn't only dragic that shot great when 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 waiters passed in the ball waiters did the same as well i mean obviously like i said he led the team 43.4 percent in catch and shoot and just about the same percentage when the ball came from from dragic so that's what really propelled the heat forward
1: and one of the things that and watching them again against orlando the other day i was reminded really of because you don't look at this team and you're like oh man they just have so many shooters you know but you know wayne ellington is very underrated in that regard actually he was a guy last year who was in the top 10 uh, among guys who actually played more than a thousand minutes in three-point attempts for 36 minutes he shot 38 percent and uh 41 percent uh during that 41 game streak tyler johnson uh, uh, yeah. quite solid josh richardson had got back shot 37 percent last year you know he had the first half of his year was wrecked by that that mcl injury uh and then waiters you know he just overall from three-point range shot 45 percent. Dragic 41 during that streak and, and Luke Babbitt who is no longer on the team but uh, uh was the biggest skill that he had was shooting he shot 46% during that period so it's really yeah. uh and they they always had really uh you know Justice Winslow we can talk about him a lot more later but with him not playing they almost nearly always had four guys who could shoot the three uh, and then they had two really good role guys in Whiteside and Reed so it was a difficult offense to stop despite what you might consider a lack uh, of superstar talent they had enough shooting around it to actually be a very difficult to stop offensive team.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, they averaged, uh, in the second half of the season, their offensive rating was, what, 109 and change, which would have been the second best in Heat history. <laughs> it was really impossible to stop when when everything was clicking. And and Ellington was a key, you mentioned Ellington, he was a key cog in that. He shot his career average, so you're like, well, there was nothing special about that, but you really have to <laughs> dig into what he did to see oh, yeah. how great he was. I mean, he shot, what, 6.4 attempts at three. Per game, and and that was like two and a half times his next best high in a season. Yep. So he's really taking a lot. And he was never standstill. He was always shooting. I know. Them. Yeah, that's really. So he, he really had a breakthrough season. He really had to to maneuver around being able to bring in three guys. They they brought back two and and, and got Kelly Olynyk, and they had to really maneuver around to be able to sneak him in on his non guaranteed contract. And, and they fit it all in in sort of a in sort of a like a late night move that um, people were having trouble figuring out. I knew there was something going on there um they used uh incentive bonuses to be able to sneak him in and he was really important so he was an initiator of the offense just in his ability to move around
1: yeah and, and i mean he's coming off of screens i mean they coming off of iverson cuts shooting threes like he's actually very difficult to defend uh and i mean even in, in that orlando game that i watched uh, over the weekend he was uh, causing problems for them didn't even play until the second quarter in fact uh and, and that's one thing i wanted to talk to now here is and we could talk about about some of the new additions kelly olenek signing that four-year 50 million dollar deal uh bam Adebayo, who I, i'm guessing is probably not really going to play very much coming yeah. in here but how do you see <laughs> the rotation shaking out uh, on this team i mean i you know they have so many quality players but they also don't really have a traditional three uh right. who can who can shoot the ball Winslow can, is the, the one who really can guard the three so what do you think like who's going to start for this team who do you think is going to close games for this team
0: so that's going to be the interesting question for the heat and the heat last year rotated through a a bunch of different combinations and i think you're going to find the same this time around their problem as you said is they have essentially five shooting guards you know waiters richardson tyler johnson wayne ellington ronnie magruder and just one small forward justice winslow and i'm not sure winslow is going to command the small forward spot for for a a long period of time
1: yeah so i I see him as more of a four at this point even winslow
0: well we can get into that what i see winslow's role at this point is essentially it's going to be interesting they're going to I think where it will come out, and they will rotate through a lot, like I said before, but I think where he could excel is essentially, this team does not have a backup shooting guard, uh, sorry, backup point guard. They try to use Tyler Johnson in that role, which is a huge mistake to me. He is a great shooting guard. Not, I mean, he's a very good shooting guard, very underrated shooting guard, but not at all a point guard. I think Winslow could excel as the backup point guard, in essence, um, and he'll, he'll probably headline a second unit with Tyler Johnson and Kelly Olenek. That's, that, that could become a, a very good second Second unit, but I see as the starting unit. Obviously, it's going to be Goran Dragic and Dion Waiters. The question is, who's going to play small forward? And I think they're going to rotate through a lot there. They have a number of options. They could try to choose Kelly uh, Olynyk as the power forward and slide James Johnson to small forward since he's since he's um, versatile in that way. If that's not enough shooting and I anticipate it won't be, um, over the course of time, then they could try to slide Kelly on uh, again to, to power forward and put James Johnson as the backup with Tyler Johnson as they did last year. They like that. But I don't I, I don't I don't think you pay that kind of money to to James Johnson and, and not have him start. So ultimately I think he's gonna start um and, and you'll just rotate through three guard rotations, which they did a lot last year too. So waiters, um um Drogic and maybe Richardson will get his chance, Josh Richardson. I don't think Tyler Tyler Johnson's going to get him get his, get his chance. Tyler Johnson's an interesting scenario, right? They picked up um, that... Uh, that uh, they, they matched that offer sheet last season, right. even though he was 19 in the last two seasons. And he is he was very healthy last season. He played 73 games um, relative to the rest of the team. That was very, very healthy, and he's only one of three players who didn't start a single game. I'm confused as to why you would have picked up, matched that offer sheet if you didn't ever intend to even give him a shot to start. But, um, you know, when you come to... Uh, so, I don't think he's going to start all this season. I think, you know, even M- McGruder obviously I think is going to start this. So I think they're going to start the season essentially as as Dragic, Waiters, Magruder, James Johnson and Asan Whiteside and go for there but when you say when you say who's going to end the game last season they rotated through so many different players who who were actually the crunch time key guy they started at at, at Wait, uh sorry they started at, at, at Dragic they went through Waiters and who broke out for a period of time was Tyler Johnson he was really the go-to guy for for a long period of time and then Waiters ultimately in the second half of the season became the most critical por- uh, person on the team, I think. Um, and he became the go-to guy until he got hurt, and then they rotated through Johnson and, and Dragic again. So the, the the thing about this Heat team is they are incredibly deep with skilled players, but they don't have a single all-star anywhere on the roster. So when you come to crunch time situations, they really, they have a lot of players who could be good in that role, but nobody who can be the, the Dwayne Wade type just give it to him and get out of the way type of scenario. So yeah. that's... That's both their strength and their weakness, I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think in crunch time that can be a strength when you're not just pounding the ball and everyone knows where the ball is going. And certainly uh, Dragic, when he's running a pick and roll, can be extremely effective with the floor space. And it's oh. funny because he's had so much time throughout his career where he's been really, really good, but he's had these other guys fighting with him for touches. Was it in Phoenix with oh. Bledsoe and then I, I, Isaiah, and then with Dwayne Wade when he came over to Miami, and then I think you know last year Waiters even. Been, you know got the ball as much waiters was good last year i i don't anticipate that'll be as much the case this season although i think he'll still be a quality player but it, it's uh last year was really the first time in quite some time that Dragic really got to be the main guy and he absolutely delivered i thought and i think people don't discuss him enough uh when talking about this heat team and why they were so good
0: absolutely i mean last year at this time you asked me who who was going to sort of have the the, the biggest improvement and I, I i mentioned to you um goran Dragic was the guy. Die. and 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 Gordon dragage had a, had a phenomenal season um but I don't I don't know if I, I think people are fighting him, with him for the ball. I think he's deferential and that's sort of, you know, maybe his his problem a little bit in that he has to be aggressive in, in trying to get that last shot because he's very, very good, good at it. So I, I hope he steps up a little bit more. I, I tend to see waiters as the guy who demands the ball more than, yeah. more than Dragic. And, and waiters, oh, oh,
1: he'll demand the ball.
0: <laughs> yeah. I worry about Waiters again. I mean, waiters, is if you ask me, uh, in, you know, people who, who could potentially, um, both improve and, and, and regress a little bit waiters is is, is obviously a, a target for you know both in some areas of his game but um i think dragich is the more stable person in terms of a go-to guy in the crunch who can deliver for you um and if he steps up and really demands the ball in those situations i think he could thrive
1: yeah waiters uh, such weird shooting splits for him you mentioned he gets to the rim all the time horrible finisher uh 51 which is you know right around where he's been at his whole career uh, at the rim uh from floater range under 30% same thing uh from 10 to 16 feet and then on long twos nearly all of which are contested by and off the dribble by the way 43% and, and then he shot 39.5% from three so if yeah. those if the, especially those long two if that number goes down then he he's taking a lot of bad shots that maybe are coming out of the hands of, of better shooters um you know I think going back to what the crunch time lineup will be I think much is going to depend on matchups because as we noted there isn't necessarily anyone who's the Size to guard a traditional three maybe other than Winslow and Winslow provides issues with his shooting so if they don't if they're going against say like a Washington Wizards team that has Otto Porter who's not going to just bludgeon somebody in the post you know a team that doesn't have an elite wing I think they'll, they can go with Waiters at the three or Josh Richardson play those two guys together uh Magruder probably wouldn't be in the closing lineup but you could maybe start him they've done that uh for quite some time so they would have be able to go with one of these shooting guards at the three no problem and that would really help the offense it's just you know if you're going against miami or you're going against golden state or oklahoma city teams and and, i mean i guess another nice thing for them really is uh, other than Giannis and lebron there really aren't any of those guys in the eastern conference who are going to cause them problems uh with the the size at the three so i think that the matchups do kind of favor this heat team because they have a lot of great defenders as long as they're not guarding someone who's too big
0: i i agree completely Deion Waiters had a great season defensively. Uh, Goran Dragic is, is sort of average, I guess you would say, as a defender. But um, James Johnson is an incredible defender. I mean, it was a, it was a crime how, how he was treated um, at the end of the season. You know, the all-NBA team, all-defense team, he wasn't obviously in consideration for any of the 10. But there were 49 players who got at least a vote. He didn't get one. <laughs> that was shocking. I mean, he, he defended all positions on the court, yeah. and he did very well. So, um, I, yeah. I think
1: Kobe Bryant might have gotten a vote for that, and he's retired. So, yeah, you I mean, could— you could at least th- throw throw a vote around, uh, uh, I, I guess, considering some of the other people who do get votes for that.
0: Yeah, and then Whiteside obviously is going to and give you what he gives you on defense. So I think this this does have the potential to be a very good defensive team. But as as you say, like a six foot four shooting uh, small forward, if it's Magruder or Waiters, uh, um, um, Waiters is probably even shorter, six three, right? Um, yeah. Um, so they're they're trying to get Josh Richardson into that role. He's a little bit taller. He's six foot six, but he's also you know, very skinny. So I think that's the area they wanted to... If you go back to what the Heat did this summer, um, you knew they were going to go after um, Gordon Hayward. But when that was unsuccessful, you knew they were going to um, circle back and sign Deion Waiters and James Johnson back. The question is, what were they going to do with the third? Uh, they wanted a, sm- uh, a sh- uh, small forward. They recognized the problem, but there just was nobody. Yeah. And that's when they circled back to Kelly Olynyk. But I think I-, I think that over the course of the season, if, if a small forward should become available, that they'll, they'll certainly be open to that, which I have some questions into how they handle certain parts of the summer, um, you know, namely the the them at a bio draft uh, draft pick um, um, because it, it might have hindered their ability to be able to uh, t- to be able to put forth a good offer in trade but um, I think they'll pursue that if they can I think they recognize it as a weakness and, and that's what I think they're doing by the way overall when they sign re signed young waiters when they when they signed Kelly olinick when they James Johnson not so much but um, when they gave the contract extension to Josh Richardson I think they're trying to build up a bunch of guys on reasonable contracts you know maybe they're they're a tiny bit excessive now but if any one of them breaks out they become value contracts yeah and i think that's what he's doing it's it's riley's new version of flexibility he can't he he can't anymore primarily because tyler johnson's contract rises he couldn't anymore do the cap space thing so now what he's trying to do is just build up a lot of guys on reasonable contracts and if any of them break out they become value contracts and 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 tradable uh, assets for us and and i think he'll use that if he finds a a small forward that 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 he thinks could complement the team
1: yeah and i want to get back to it we'll talk a little bit more about some of their machinations over the summer since i know that's a favorite topic of yours and mine as well of course but one question i want to ask you before that is they have all these shooting guards i want you just rank those guys in terms of who you think is the best player i mean that obviously it's situational but between tyler johnson josh richardson wayne ellington uh deon waiters and i guess you could throw magruder into that category too like you just rank those guys who do you think is are the best Is gonna i mean i not the best player now even but like who's gonna give the best performance this season
0: I would separate Deion Waiters from the rest of those guys because Deion Waiters, those guys, Josh Richardson, Tyler Johnson, Wayne Ellington, I see those guys as as primarily, with the exception of of Ellington, who who doesn't only, you know, catch and shoot. I see those guys as shooters. uh, Waiters is really more of an initiator of offense. If you use Tyler Johnson or Josh Richardson in that way, they will not excel. And, you know, like I said earlier, the Heat learned they need two penetrators, and Waiters went down, they didn't have that second eventually who stepped up was was James Johnson but for a while the Heat the Heat's often struggled without Waiters. They tried uh Tyler Johnson, they tried Josh Richardson, they just didn't work out in that role. So, if you ask me, it depends on how you're asking me who the best one is. If you're asking yeah. me who the best penetrator is, there's only one, and that's Deon Waiters. If you're asking me who who the best sort of off the ball three-point shooter, which is a very important role, I'm hoping Josh Richardson, the second half of his first season, he shot 53% from three. Now, obviously, yeah. that's not sustainable, but it showed yeah. something that he didn't show before in, in college.
1: And, and, and uh, he looked he was, he was looked unbelievable shooting the ball uh, in that game against the Magic over the weekend, too.
0: Yeah, so I'm hoping he's the one who steps up and really embraces. They're, they're, they're trying to get him on the court, hopefully. I think that they're, they're giving him a shot at small forward. I don't think that's where he's going to excel. That's the problem. We have a lot of shooting guards in no spot. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't know where you get them all on the court. Tyler Johnson is, is, is I think he's better than people give him credit for. He's really good as a, yeah. as a catch and shoot type of three, uh three point shooter. He's, he's a re he's shocking. He's six foot three and he must weigh like 65 pounds, but he can, he can jump through the roof, grab you rebounds uh, and play both spots defensively. I don't think he's a point guard offensively, but I do think he can guard both backwards spots defensively, which gives you a ton of flexibility. So I see potential there too. Uh, I'm hoping Josh Richardson becomes the guy. And Wayne, 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 Wayne Ellington, is, is a he's got a more of a specialist skill set, a very important one. But he's also not the long-term guy that maybe a Josh Richardson is because his yeah. contract is expiring. They'll, hopefully, they'll bring him back if he has another good season. But he's also going to be 30, and he's going to be 31 at the start of what would be the next season. So uh, he's not so much the future as maybe a Josh Richardson is.
1: Yeah, I'm a little higher on Richardson's uh, ability as, a, as an offensive player than you are. I think he actually can uh can maybe mature into being more of a player with the ball in his hands and i i actually now it's not to say that he and waiters can't play alongside each other and it could well be that you know richardson is the starting three especially in certain matchups as you mentioned although they do seem very interested in because magruder started for a lot of last year i think that yep. they're interested in playing him i mean I, i'm just not sure that he's quite in the class of some of these other guys but he's he's maybe a little bit more profiling as a guy who can guard threes than uh, maybe richardson richardson again more of a one two defender and a really good one as well but i think he could maybe be a little bit better uh i would say richardson is probably my favorite of that group but as you mentioned you know waiters does something a little bit different than the rest of them do
0: yeah what, I, yeah I yeah I don't, think, I, don't, I don't think you can compare waiters and richardson together because they they play different roles if you ask me who my favorite was i mean i love josh richardson yeah. <laughs> I, he's gonna no, be me, me too
1: man he's that guy's just a shark on defense i love it
0: yeah you asked me who my favorite player on the team was last year and i told you josh richardson so i'm I- like <laughs> <laughs> <hasn't> changed <laughs> so yeah
1: yeah uh, so, so i take it you you uh you thought that extension four years 42 million uh player option in the last year which is the most they could give him uh under the new extension rules you, you were in favor of that extension uh,
0: i'm one of the few players on earth who actually maybe was not in favor of that I, i'm okay with it i maybe i wouldn't have done it only because i look around and i i see the rest of uh all the teams in the NBA what he got in his extension was higher than what the mid-level exception would be next year and he'll be a restrict he would have been a restricted free agent next year so there's really only a couple of teams in the nba who could have went after him and given more money than he's already secured now um and i i don't know i mean if he doesn't perform if he if his three-point shooting from last year is the norm then with so many other shooting guards on the roster i'm um, like you know you know maybe we could have gotten him for, for cheaper and and even if he does perform i don't see many teams offering him a whole lot more so you know why put forth the risk but i understand why they did it right like i said before they're trying to build up assets it's not a bad contract not in any way shape or form now you've got him locked in for four years so uh, four years plus this year so that's really five years so all all of a sudden he's another asset that you've gotten if he breaks out like i think he will then it becomes a a huge value contract
1: yeah i I think my biggest issue with it probably was the player option on the last year i think if your idea is hey we're going to give you money now you want to see if you can lock him in a little bit longer if he does break out i mean I, i think there certainly is some risk there. He did shoot it better the second half of last year. You know, thirty-seven. If you shoot thirty-seven percent, that's totally fine, uh, especially because I think he's going to start taking some harder attempts. And it, I, I see your point there about you know how many teams are really going to have more th- than the mid-level exception, um but also they're able to get him uh, under contract for at least three years, which is nice. I, I it's and they kinda, yeah, yeah. So so they have uh there's they have a thing going here where they're trying to keep this group together, keep everyone happy. Happy as well i think that you know there's a psychological component here that if he's in a contract year and there's all these guys that are playing his position fighting for playing time if he doesn't play you know he could become a problem maybe in the locker room as well you know and i think by paying all these guys at least you know if guys don't play you could be like well you know it's not like killing your next contract so i i, I like i you said I, I understand why they did it what did you think of the uh the olenic deal
0: well i think they they had in mind to resign Dion waiters they had mind to re-sign james johnson they had some cap space left over and they didn't they didn't have anywhere else to put it getting he he was
1: the best guy on the market at the time i think
0: yeah i I, nobody had ever heard of him as a possibility in miami before it shocked us all but you could see how he fits right um the heat seemed to like that um, you
1: you can't have someone that pale in miami he just he just doesn't fit in with the team
0: well he's he's got big hair right we like those kinds of guys <laughs> Josh Roberts. Um So, you know, the Heat had a fascination with Josh McRoberts. It didn't work out. Uh, he's still not fully healthy yet in Dallas, so you can see why it was it was really time to yeah. move on. I did not like that trade. I thought the Heat gave up a bunch for it. I thought they rushed into something yeah. in the nth hour when they could have taken a couple of weeks. But maybe, I, I didn't know at the time that he's still not healthy. Um, so maybe that's yeah. really part of it. Yeah, but, but,
1: counting but, on him, I think, would be foolish at, the, at this point to either be healthy or perform even even when he was... With oh, given its right. his history, so I,
0: I don't think I, I don't think Josh McRoberts is going to be on the team um in this year under any circumstance. But that trade, by the way, they, they traded Josh McRoberts, who had a six million dollar expiring contract, for five point one in cash, uh, two thousand, I think, twenty three second round pick, and they took on AJ Hammonds, who wasn't really on uh, on Riley's radar. They just took him on as a multi year guarantee, but at the minimum salary, and all of that only created one point five million dollars of cap space. Um, well, relatively- in
1: comparison to stretching him you're saying
0: yes in comparison to stretching him so um maybe again i think they wanted kelly olenek uh, i think they see him as a, as a player who can sort of play the josh mcroberts role but i didn't love the trade so I, I have a little bit of an issue with that but um it's all right
1: yeah i mean i think giving up the 5.1 in cash i mean I, now they can't trade anymore this year which is going to be an issue for them but I, I, you know it's a, i understand why they did it just to, because every dollar counted in terms of signing olenic when mean, they had to go into all those gyrations with the unlikely bonuses just to get all those guys on the team johnson waiters and olenic and fit them into their space and keep ellington as well who's a, a critical piece uh so it, you know it wasn't I, I understand why they went the way and they felt you know give up a 2023 second rounder which i is i think was the only one they had available to trade at the time yeah, The early,
0: yeah, the earliest yeah.
1: uh you know when that's the only one you have to trade i mean for most organizations are or like 2023 that's so far in the horizon for a second router, it's worthless um and, and taking on hammond's you know 1.5 million or so for next year they're not gonna have cap space next year anyway so uh and they could always stretch that if, if the tax becomes a concern so i mean I, I guess they just felt like every dollar counted and that i, I think getting rid of getting rid of salary is proved pretty difficult right like you know for example i bet the bucks would have loved to have rather than stretch P- spencer hawes who's almost the exact same amount of money as mc roberts and actually might play this year they would have loved to have been able to do that deal instead of having to stretch him uh because now they're gonna they've got tax problems for the next couple of years so i, I understand why they went that way i think they were just worried like hey we could do this now and it's only going to get tighter as far as being able to get off the salary so if we could do th- this now and get him gone completely you know we might as well take the opportunity and you know we're only really giving up in terms of cash which doesn't matter that much and a second round that's I, really I, far I, away in the future
0: i agree that, that was just a small thing that i, that I noticed I, I have, yeah, but but that's lot, what
1: so. you and I talk about, right? I mean, if we're <laughs> why else are, why else are you on the show for us to discuss a trade of Josh McRoberts and a second router in cash for five minutes? Uh, you know, yeah,
0: my only point is it, it seemed to happen so quickly. Well, uh, maybe they've been, they've probably been polling Josh McRoberts trades for a very long period of time, so they knew what they were doing and, yeah. and they knew at the time that he wasn't going to be healthy. That that changed the equation. At the time, I was sitting there saying, "Wow, they gave up a lot." I didn't know that he he wasn't going to be healthy right now. Now. Um, if he was, I think he's still a pretty productive player. So that sort of changes the dynamic of that trade. The trade – the, the scenario I had more issues with is not Kelly Olenek and how, how they've created the room for him, but, but Bam out of bio. If we get into that, then um, that was something I had a little bit more of an issue with. Um, but again, the major deals are, are all as expected. These are minor things. But yes, in terms of Bam's drafting, I, I wasn't, really, wasn't really in love with that one so much. Because yeah. Kelly Olenek, he could be a good player for the Heat if he performs and he shoots his threes. But Bam – uh i have some issues with well and i like the fit of a
1: with justice winslow uh on the second unit because a if he's playing the five and i expect him to get most of the minutes at backup five it it wouldn't shock me if he starts at the four and they just bring james johnson off the bench just because that's what they did a lot last year but uh you know i think his primary role is going to be as as a backup five and his ability to space the floor works with winslow who of course you know can't space the floor at, at all uh really can you give us like the 30 seconds on why you didn't like the at a bio pick
0: yes uh for, for a couple of reasons first um uh, bringing in bam, uh, bam essentially meant the departure of willie reed who only played 14 and a half minutes a game but i i really liked him in the role that he had last year i thought he played really well but four reasons and i'll, I'll try to go really quickly um the first is it sucked out 2.5 million dollars of cap room which the heat would have desperately needed if if they had gotten gordon hayward at the time we didn't know that they weren't going to get him um that's a that's sort of a minor yeah. issue they, they, the they part- might have
1: known they, they I probably suspected but yeah I, I... The,
0: the, the second one is of course we lost Willie Reed also a minor issue what, what I would have done it, it only helps to know what I would have done in order to be able to to say why I didn't really sure. love him and what I would have done is I really liked Laurie markin at the time I mean I did I, whether or not he works out I don't know some people like Zach Collins but the Heat knew all along that they weren't going to get either one of those players at, at pick number 14 so what I would have done was trade it out um, and I would have tried to trade for a pick next year and I didn't I wouldn't necessarily have cared if it was 14, 15, 16 projected even to be 20. I might have taken a little bit of a worse of a pick, only because, like I said, it it would have created a little bit of extra cap space. It would have meant we probably could have re-signed Reed with the room mid-level exception, as some of us were talking about before. Uh, But more importantly, it would have given us a future first-round pick, of course. But the fourth thing is really, really important. It would have made the Heat's 2019 first-round pick immediately tradable. And that could have big implications because I think the Heat are trying to to get that small forward, and I, I, I think there are scenario, trade scenarios that they will consider. And as of now, the pick is only tradable after the 2018 draft, but, but but think about one thing that already happened, and I don't know if it would have made a difference, but maybe you can see where I'm going, right? Um, eventually, Kyrie Irving became available in trade. I don't think the Heat would have had enough to get him under any circumstances, but they were interested, and they, if you believe certain reports, they offered Justice Winslow and Goran Dragic, and that wasn't enough to get it done. But what if you have those two and a 2019 first-round pick? I, I still don't think it's enough relative to what Boston offered. But you can see why having that first-round pick in 2019 available, available for trade this season was so important. And I think giving that up was but for, for a guy who, for a guy in Bam who I don't see uh, playing a whole lot. If he plays well, maybe he steals all of uh, all of Reed's 14 minutes. But we're talking about 14 minutes on the high end and and low end. He's not really going to get a whole lot of playing time to give up all of that flexibility. To me, wasn't wasn't worth it. But um I hope he performs and proves me wrong. Yeah,
1: I think they just really liked him as a player. That might might have been part of it. And it's uh yeah, I, I see the point about the flexibility too. And he's and at the time, maybe they felt like, hey, you know what? Like Willie Reed has these exorbitant contract demands. I mean, with some of the reporting that's come out with Chris Haynes about you know, oh, claiming that the Heat offered him three years, fifteen million, and he turned it down and was told to turn it down by his unlicensed <laughs> agent. Like that would indicate that perhaps his salary demands were a little bit higher than you know what they felt like they could afford you know the heat of denied that they made that offer uh but in any event yeah so i don't know if they felt like hey we can get this me, guy back for sure
0: to, to me as far as the draft was concerned i was looking to get a small forward if one was available if not i was looking to get a power forward because remember yeah. james johnson was not resigned at that point and we don't really right. have any other power forward so that's why i was sort of interested in the marketing slash collins type well um, type of type of draft pick but i don't think a backup center was was what we we were really looking for at the time. So it was a little bit shocking to me. Um, And to give up all the other things that I mentioned was maybe not the best, but in in the end of the day, it really didn't. Well, who knows? That that first round pick, if we we found a a trade, um, maybe at the trade deadline this season, we can't do it because we don't have it. We do have one um, first round pick to offer, but that's all the way out in, what, 2024 or something like that. So um, it's a whole lot different when you have a near-term first round draft pick to offer.
1: Yeah, and and of course, the reason that they can't trade any first rounders before that is because they owe 2018 and 2021 to uh, the Suns from uh, the the Dragas trade. Uh,
0: real quickly, fact, here, yeah, go ahead, just, sorry. Just one thing on that. There's a lot of reporting here that, that the Heat will not have any draft picks to offer, first round picks to offer for a very long period of time. That's actually not true. As soon as the 2018 draft is over, the Heat can offer its 2019 pick. So, maybe not this season, but in on June whatever it is, 25th, they'll be Absolutely. able to offer 2000, um, and 2019 pick because they're they're not they're not they're not they don't owe a 2020 pick so therefore they'll be able to trade a 2019 pick anyway i just wanted to clarify that one thing
1: all right so we've hit on this to some degree so far but I want to really get into it now who do you think uh is likely to improve on this team it's an interesting question because they had a lot of guys who broke out last year but a lot of those guys are young as well so what do you, who do you think is going to get better and then maybe who uh might not sustain their performance from last year
0: so who do i think is going to get better better Josh Richardson jumps to mind again he shot 33 on threes last season he, he started the season late because of his injury and he, he, he didn't really perform at the level he did in the second half of the first season I think I certainly hope and think that he gets his shooting uh shooting back and I think he'll I, I don't know I, I think he'll shoot in, in the range of 40 on his threes maybe even a little bit higher hopefully
1: that would be incredible uh, if he does that um but yeah
0: i, I I'm shooting for 40 from him and he shot 33 last year so that would be a big improvement um and I think he's fully capable. Capable of it. Rodney Magruder is the same scenario. I, I don't think the Heat wanted uh, Rodney Magruder to be their starting uh, small forward. I think at this point he might be. Um, I don't think that's that was the vision. I think they'd rather have him as a, as a backup. But he was a rookie last year and he played pretty well. But he too, now in his sophomore season, you know, he shot 33 just like Richardson and I think he's he's got um, a little bit uh, of area for improvement there. The headliners, I don't think. Hassan Whiteside is, is, is who he is. Goran Dragic had a great season. Uh, improving? <laughs> I don't think so. So you're, you're talking about more of these the, the role player types that that really have a chance to improve especially the yeah.
1: young. Guys. yeah and uh i mean the the two that come to mind are Dragic and waiters maybe as regression candidates uh but waiters is pretty young you know nobody really unless you're a, a spectacular player shoots that well on long twos from you know with the type of contested attempts that, that he did so what do you project from those guys this year how much of last year can they maintain
0: so Dragic and waiters i'm gonna say those are regression candidates particularly with their shooting but, but again like I said before Dragic and Waiters have both done that kind of thing before so maybe it, hopefully it won't be a sort of a, a very large regression but I don't think it's, it's, it's wise to, to project Dion Waiter <laughs> shooting 43% on three especially if he's not healthy if he's not healthy that could be a big regression um, so I'm really worried about that ankle he had the potential to get um, um, ankle surgery and he chose against it because it was an 8-10 to 10 month recovery um, that would have taken him well into the season so I'm really worried about him but if you ask me who's likely to get worse or regress just a little bit I'm going to throw out an interesting name at you which you um may or may not agree with and that's James Johnson
1: Uh, I I do agree with
0: that when James Johnson when when Deion Waiters went down James Johnson just basically stepped up and became that secondary playmaker I mean he did everything he led the fast break he dished out some passes he had some big shots rebounds and obviously his defense was phenomenal but you know, with uh, healthy Waiters, it changes the dynamic. I'm not sure he's going to be as effective playing off the ball when when Waiters and Dragic are the primary playmakers. Uh, he he had a career best 38% in catch and shoot threes last season. I, I don't think that's sustainable. I, I think and overall he shot a career best 34% from three. I don't think that's repeatable it worries me Uh, that's the reason why i wouldn't have given him a four-year contract i was okay with the amount of the contract in terms of annual salary but i personally wouldn't have given him a four-year deal he's also 30 years old um he was in phenomenal condition last season there's a lot of worry with James Johnson that a lot of aspects of his games were just so much better than the norm that they could come down. Um, and, and he got, uh, of the of the, all the guys that they signed this summer, he got the biggest contract. So that's a little bit worrying. Um, and then another one, uh, obviously, I, w- I would stick in there is, is Wayne Ellington, only because he did so great. Um, to, to ask him to do what he did with as many attempts as he did and the way he did it, which is just moving off of screens and, and, and jumping all around the place and, and really becoming our entire offense when it was stagnating a little bit, maybe that's not repeatable either. But in terms of the one that worries me is James Johnson. And I would say the second young Waiters only because, well, not only, but primarily because I really do worry about that ankle.
1: Yeah, I mean, there, there's a reason why those guys got one year four million dollars and one year two point nine million dollars last year, and then in, and that was in a much more liberal cap environment than we saw this summer. And I, I agree with you on Johnson. It's difficult to say because I mean, I, I noted it. He was fat in, in Toronto. I mean, and he, when they said he came in, he was two seventy five, which is insane for someone with his role and body type. And you know, I think he got down to probably maybe 230, 235, and the, the Heat do a great job job of getting guys in shape of keeping guys in shape if there's any organization that can help him to maintain these improvements but you're going against the trend there of a guy who was really I mean had never been even a quality rotation player in the NBA and maybe you could say uh in Toronto in 2014-15 other than that really had not been an effective player until his age 29 season with Miami and a lot of that was because he got into that phenomenal shape but when you do that at 29 I mean you're always going to experience expect some regression and you know I, I agree with you I think that's going to be close to one of the worst contracts in the NBA by the time it's over um you know especially because by that point uh all of those other horrible 2016 contracts w- will be off the books um let's uh let's talk a little bit about uh what you see as the main strengths of this team
0: strengths of the team <laughs> well first is clearly depth right uh they don't have a single all-star anywhere on the roster but they got a ton of quality players that really fit all of- the key roles for success just why they found it last in the second half of last season i mean they got guys who can break down the defense they got guys who can space the floor they've got white side who's a strong interior presence
1: yeah we haven't even talked about white side yet yeah, let's actually let's break off real quickly like where is hassan Whiteside as a player now i mean he's got this yeah. max contract like yeah. is he anywhere close to, to worth that like how, how are you feeling about him just as a player these days
0: uh, i'm continue to be the one, one of the ones that actually very much like Hassan Whiteside. white side if you ask me if you go in and ask Ask me the weaknesses of this team. I I I couldn't come. I can't come up with one. The, the, the a particularly glaring. um Well, yes, I can. The one thing about Whiteside, I will say, is they have to use him in the right way. He is not a back to the basket, low post offensive well, player. They, he I mean, has to
1: use himself in the right way. I think.
0: Yeah. Well. Yes. But they, they. You'll notice in a couple of games in the beginning of the beginning of the games, they always just try to feed him in the low post, and he is spectacularly awful in that way. Oh,
1: it's. So bad. I actually tweeted out when I was watching that game the other day. Like, if I never have to watch another Hassan Whiteside post up, other than just all right, if he posts up right at the charge circle and transition and gets a deep post up, okay, like you throw it to him. But like, if he's not doesn't have two feet in the lane, do not throw him the ball in the post. But the problem is, like, he has to be motivated to defend and and get on the boards. And I think they feel like all right, we got to waste a couple few possessions here, throwing him the ball in the post because otherwise he's not going to try hard enough.
0: Well, yeah. I think the way they can use him is really in, in in the screen and roll. He doesn't... It frustrates me sometimes that he doesn't get set to good, hard screens, but he has that capability and he can roll off of that and it would just be unstoppable, especially if they have shooting around it, um, to be able to stop him on the screen and roll. I think they should run that play, that very basic play, a lot, like every sure. time down the court, um, so that he's touching the ball and, and and staying happy because if he's motivated and he's scoring a lot of points, then he becomes more of a presence on the defensive end also, and that's. That's, that's an area where he could really make his mark as, as, a, as a shot blocker and, a, and as, an, as a, just a dominant presence on, on the defensive end. So I, I tend to, you ask me whether I like that contract. Yeah, I do, because I think he's a critical component to the team. There are aspects of this game that didn't develop like the way that we thought they would. Um, but um, overall, I still think he's, he's a dominant presence on both sides if they use him correctly.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of it, too, his defensive effect depends on the matchups, right? If you're playing against a team like the Warriors always just kill him because well if yeah. because he he will never ever leave the paint. and so if you just That's... run a pick and roll with his man and Steph Curry Steph Curry is just going to get a wide open three or if you run a pin down for Klay Thompson with his man setting the screen Clay Thompson is going to get wide open but you know not every team is the Warriors and even in the East Boston maybe I think is a team that could give him a lot of trouble um and, and Cleveland probably as well is a team that can give him a lot of trouble in, in with the spacing that they have. I mean, if, if they're going to start with Kevin Love at center, you know, who's he going to guard? It's going to be very difficult for him. Um, but I think against most teams on a night-to-night basis in the regular season, he's a major factor.
0: Uh, I agree. There, there's, I agree with both of your your aspects of your point. Uh, there <laughs> are a lot of things where if you really pay attention, he really can't do. Uh, he's never going to leave the pin. He's not going to rotate out to the perimeter. He's not going to be good on the pick and roll. He's not even going to be great uh, just one-on-one defensively on a dominant, not a, a very good Good low post scorer he's going to let up a lot of points that type of person where he's really uh, better is sort of coming off the ball and, and trying to make and trying to block shots that way and just just stopping penetration w- when they come to him he's not some guy who's going to rotate out to, 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 to try to to try to stop anything along the perimeter and he's not some guy who's going to be the, the, the most dominant one-on-one defender down low on the block
1: yeah so it's yeah i think you could make the point that like he's maybe overpaid in the sense that if you were a free agent this last summer he doesn't get a max contract but i agree with you if they can just kind of ease him into i I always think of uh, i don't know if you watch the show mad men but there's a scene where uh peggy don draper's underling wants like more recognition and he's yells at her like you'll you're not gonna get any recognition that's what the money is for and for Asad white that i kind of think of that too right like you're not gonna get any post-ups like that's not what you're good at like that's your recognition like that's what the money is for now go defend and rebound and and get on the offensive glass and, and run pick and roll but you know, I'm not sure that he is he is quite wired that well, way.
0: But we talk we talk a lot about the negatives, but the positives are just so obvious, right, on the offense. Right. And he does command one or two defenders um, to be able to stop him from getting all the rebounds and, and just throwing them uh, back in at a pick and roll just has to be respected. So when you suck in the defense like that, it opens up the game for your three-point shooter. So he does play a critical role, even if he does have his weaknesses on both ends of the floor. He can be a, a huge impact. Yes. There are certain matchups in which he could get um, exposed. But overall, as, the, as for what the team is trying to do, he plays a big, 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 big role to me.
1: Yeah, so some other strengths that pop out to me, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I, I felt like we needed to talk about Whiteside. We hadn't really mentioned him yet. Uh, is that depth, right? I mean, and, and it's the depth is obvious because we haven't even had a chance to talk about all the players on the team. There's so many good guys. We haven't even mentioned the name okara White, who I thought had a, a very nice summer league and a nice season last year also. Uh, so he, he's another guy. Think who can come through this heat system and maybe be a, a quality player in time. I think the other strength they have is just playing really hard, and they, they play hard, and especially and that goes with the depth too. On a night-to-night basis, they're generally going to play harder than their
0: opponent Even when they were uh, in the first half of the season, eleven and thirty, they were playing hard for all of those games. It, yep. It's really incredible how hard they play. um So I agree with you. Playing hard is definitely a strength, and uh, you know, depth also. And one of the things that we didn't mention, I mean, maybe we did, is, is defense. I. I just, just yeah there are so many good defenders in this team i think even though we have a whoever it's going to be an undersized or under bulked if you want to say josh richardson is going to be that man um whoever the 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 small forward is going to be i think we can overcome that and still be a great defensive team because so many uh, very good defenders and they buy into the team concept and the team concept makes them even better yeah for
1: uh for weaknesses you know you mentioned small forward I, i agree with you there just in terms of having like that one guy Maybe that's Winslow in certain matchups they can get by with him. I think
0: think small forward and power forward. Power forward. So small forward is the obvious weakness, right? I mean, they have one guy, and if he doesn't perform, and I I really worry his shooting is not going to be able to make him playable, especially when he's playing alongside James Johnson, who's maybe not the best shooter. You can survive one, but you really can't survive two players who can't shoot and the type of offense that he'd try to run. Um, So obviously small forward is going to be an issue, but I think power forward could be an issue too if um, sort of JJ fades and Olenek doesn't perform form uh, maybe not as not nearly as big as an issue with small forward but th- they don't have the Luke Babbitt to fall back on anymore whose whose, <laughs> whose defensive shortcomings are obvious but his offensive um, capabilities really uh, open up the court so uh, yeah small forward is going to be the big issue power forward could be as well but, but <laughs>
1: yeah, I think they'll be okay at power forward I think between James Johnson Winslow and then you could even play Olinic there in certain matchups as well I think they have enough guys who can match up with with any specific type of power forward uh, that that they're going to face um but that's i mean you, you're you've seen them more than i have but i i think they'll be okay there. Uh, small forward and you know i think it's only really i mean the, offensively they're fine they got plenty of guys to play there it's just all right if they're going against the absolute best small forwards in the nba who have that size that's where i think it starts to become an issue
0: yeah but the biggest weakness isn't even small forward power forward i think the biggest weakness is they, they and maybe you'll disagree with me here is they just don't have an all-star they, yeah they, they don't have anybody to take them you know to the the next level to, to, to really to take over the game at any particular point in time. They have a lot of players who can do that, but they don't have anybody they can count on. And I think any team that really wants uh, you know playoff aspirations needs that guy. I, I hope I'm wrong, of course, but um, that's one of the things they have. It's amazing they went through the second half of that last season without a single all star, past or present, anywhere on the roster, and they still did what they did. Yeah. So it can happen.
1: But they do have guys, plenty of guys who think that they're all stars. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but. Uh, and uh, the other weakness I would point to is pick and roll defense at the center position. We talked about Whiteside, side. as like, he also against the best guys really just doesn't have the length, doesn't play with the force. uh, That's really necessary at at the center position when he's out there. Maybe bam out of bio could become that guy, but he, I don't think he's going to play that much this year. So
0: agree and disagree. If they really needed to to fix that problem in a crunch, because they have a a matchup problem where that becomes an issue. I think, you know, maybe this is asking a little bit too much, but I think James Jones Johnson could be that guy yeah he played center they, last year. he really they, did
1: and, and they've even they've even experimented in lineups with like Winslow and Johnson at the four and five they, they did that in the Orlando game didn't didn't work that well but I think it sounds like they're going to try a, more of Winslow as really a four and five I think he might get most of his minutes there
0: I, I'm, I'm really hoping Winslow's you know a lot of people know about his shooting issues but what, what people don't maybe don't realize is he's actually a pretty good playmaker I'm hoping they use him as a de facto, yeah. as a de facto sort of point guard on offense on a second unit, where he can slide to the three because Tyler Johnson can actually play um, point guard on defense um, and give him cover there. So I, I can see a second man unit w- which which features you know Winslow, Olenek, and Tyler Johnson being pretty good, especially since you have so many shooting guards who can actually shoot. Um, so you can slot another one of those there and, and create a good four man unit there.
1: Yeah, Winslow, his shooting, the development that he showed there has been disappointing, but he has really developed his off the dribble game and his passing. I think like he had some really nice plays the other day where he's getting the guy on his back and pick and roll. He's, he's not a great finisher, no. but I mean, in terms of like where he was coming out of Duke as a guy who can grab and go push the ball and transition and uh, create a little bit in the pick and roll, he has improved there. All right, let's let's uh, let's get to it here. Predicted record. I'm going to start by doing this just so I can't be accused of piggybacking off of what you did. Uh, they're over under in Vegas, at least when we did it about a month ago uh, on this podcast is 43 and a half. Oh, I really like this team. I think they're going to get forty-seven wins.
0: I didn't know about Vegas. I I had I was struggling to decide whether I was at forty-five and thirty-seven or forty-six and thirty-six. I went with four, forty-five and thirty-seven to be conservative. Um, so I'll go with forty-five and thirty-seven.
1: Yeah, I mean, I this is this team. I'm and maybe I'm just overreacting a little bit, but just the amount of depth that they have. I mean, I think anyone other than Dragic uh, and, and I think Richardson can make up maybe for especially because he's healthy now. I felt he never really was healthy last year. After after that MCL that's an injury that takes a while to come back from and really you know you can play but you're not really yourself for quite some time Steph Curry saw that too in the in the uh 2016 playoffs um there's a lot of guys that have had that um and so I think if, if waiters is injured you know they can weather that storm a little bit better than they did last year really Dragic is the only guy to me that I would be extremely worried about and he's been healthy for most of his career uh so and I think they're just they're going to defend they're going to play hard uh I, I think this is a team that really like is going to surprise some people this season. So I, I like okay. forty-seven. You have forty-five. Anything you wanted to add to why you uh, went with that number?
0: Uh- I, I love this team i think they're constructed very well but i see a considerable amount of risk here um and, and so it got me a little bit more conservative with my my predicted record i guess as a realistic case i, I do i do see them doing uh, as a realistic best case i do then i do see them potentially doing a lot better than 45 wins i could see them 50 plus um but in terms of predicted record I, I think you know 45 feels not too good not it feels right to me i, I don't know but the the risk to me you know if waiters goes down, I, I think that is is a lot more damaging than 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 maybe that what you you had discussed there. I, I, I see him as a critical portion of the team. If if power forward becomes an issue because um, Johnson uh, takes uh, regresses just a little bit and Kelly Olenek isn't isn't ready to step into that role, Luke Babbitt could be a, a big loss there. So and and three point shooting, <laughs> three point shooting last year was what drove the team to its success. If they can't match that level of three point shooting, then then you know they that's that's a that that will have a dramatic impact on their ability to get wins um so i see uh i see a little bit more risk here but uh you know i'm hopeful
1: yeah i mean this team a year ago uh expected one loss was 44 and 38 um they they were 41 41 but they were so unlucky oh. during that first part of the season really? that even with that crazy run at the end to get to 41 41 they underperformed their point differential so if you're starting at 44 and 38 i think they got better winslow is back now josh richardson is going to be better you know i think some of the guys we talked about regressing that could happen. uh You know, Kelly Olynyk is, I think, way better than anyone they had. Uh, I think he's really going to help their offense off the bench a lot. I think he's better than anyone they had uh at backup four or five last year. um So I, I think they got better, and I, you know, I could see them easily getting you know three wins better than last year based on the additions that they had and some of the internal improvement. So you said best case fifty wins. I would go with. I actually think they could even get up to fifty two. I mean, they're the number five defense last year. I think they could repeat that, and I think they could be, you know, like the number ten offense in the NBA, uh, and I think that could get you to fifty-two wins actually. I
0: I think more importantly than the number of wins um, is how they can perform in the playoffs. I I do think they can they can get out of the first round of the playoffs. I think they can get into the second. I'm not sure they can beat a sort of a Cleveland or a Boston um, in in a potential second round, Um, but I do think they can advance past through the first round of the playoffs, and I think that would be, you know, that would be a great season for the Heat this year. Uh,
1: Yeah, I, I think they could be i think they're gonna be a top four seed i, I think they're gonna have a better re- record than milwaukee and i think they are gonna you know, they'll have a matchup if that is the four or five matchup i think i would probably as of now of course favor them against the bucks uh but you know Giannis would be a tough matchup for them they don't necessarily i mean i guess they could put james johnson on they that would have to be the guy that they would use to guard him and then and, and maybe winslow would be it but that would be a fascinating matchup and a matchup between them and uh washington would also be a really interesting one if that came to pass first round
0: right I, I, that's a team that I think they have the potential to beat, um in, in a first round. I'm, I'm not saying that it will happen, and neither am I saying it will happen w- versus Milwaukee, but I think they have the potential to be both, which which is in, in sort of a, a better case scenario, which is why I'm encouraged that this team could actually, uh, this year, not only make the playoffs, which I think is is, is a, a very realistic possibility, beyond realistic, I think they will. I think they can also advance past the first round.
1: Yeah, I and mean, the tough thing for them in the playoffs is when other teams ramp up the minutes for their best guys, they're... Depth becomes a little bit less uh, of a use. I I think that you're just going to have guys. Having all those guys is great during the regular season, but you know when John Wall or Giannis is playing 42 minutes a game, that maybe it becomes harder to deal with someone like that. But so it's interesting to it'll be interesting to see whether is this team a better or worse playoff or or regular season team. I think you could construct arguments in both directions.
0: Right. I mean, the counterpoint to that kind of argument would be. regardless of of the other team's performance our defense is or the heat's defense is is very very good and the offense when it's clicking it's just got all the components to be very good they were very good in the second half last season and and more encouraging more encouraging than even their overall performance is when they're when when the lineup they'll probably be using saw the floor you know Drogic, waiters james johnson and whiteside that four-man unit second half of last season 127 offensive rating so i mean that's ridiculous of course they did it because they shot Fifty-one percent from three. I don't know if that's sustainable. <laughs> but 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 you could see, you know, come crunch time when they're playing their key guys, those key guys. If 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 the shooting is falling, they have the potential to be very good offensively, and we already know they're going to be very good defensively. So I I think they have the potential to be maybe everybody except for a Cleveland or a or a Boston.
1: Yeah, one other. I mean, now that we're thinking about the playoffs too, I think one other weakness they might have is I think against some of the best teams, which they really are not. Right, like if you look at the Eastern. Conference, how many teams in the East project to be like really good defensively? Like, I don't think really hardly any of them, but going against some of the best teams, if you have guys who can switch a lot, then I think you can. This team might be able to be shut down because they don't really have like that one guy who could just beat switches. Like, waiters, I don't expect him. I mean, he'll take shots against switches, but you know, is he really gonna hit contested long shots at the same rate that he did last year? Dragic, not the best against switches either. So, and Whiteside trying to post up as we've mentioned is a total disaster so that might be a weakness for these guys too but i don't think there's really teams in the east maybe boston might be it um but they you can you know you can still go at like a kyrie irving uh but there aren't that many teams that can really deploy that type of a defense against this heat squad right um all right last thing worst case scenario what do you see it as
0: uh, worst case scenario would be you know they're not healthy and they're shooting regresses uh substantially and i think that's probably 37 wins uh 37 and 45 something in that neighborhood maybe. I don't I I don't see it when you when you weight them. I don't see that as potentially being, you know, weighted likely. But I think in a in a a worst case scenario, if if certain things don't don't break the heat's way and and health becomes a problem and shooting digresses, I think 37 wins could be realistic and, and missing the playoffs
1: yeah i think that's uh, although 37 wins uh you're probably even money to get into the playoffs in this year's eastern conference even then so uh yeah i mean i think the only way that i think they get into big trouble this year and is if Dragic gets hurt and we we disagree a little bit on on the importance of waiters but yeah i think uh 37 would be about where i would look as well but i, I think this team is a pretty darn good shot of making the playoffs especially because they're going to defend and they're going to play hard okay. every night um all right so let us know where we can follow uh all your stuff, and uh, we'll get you out of here.
0: Okay, uh, on Twitter at Albert namid and on uh, on my website HeatHoops.com.
1: Yeah, and Albert, especially during uh, the free agent period, an invaluable resource. I mean, you're basically reacting in nearly real time to all these signings and, and giving updated cap situations. You are all over the thing about the Heat using the unlikely bonuses to basically get some free money to fit in all, all those players. So, uh, Albert, if you're not following him already, and you're interested. At all in the cap, uh, and, and you're interested at all in uh, especially like the specific machinations. Following him, HeatHoops.com definitely a place to go.
0: Yeah, that was a scary moment, by the way. <laughs> everybody, <laughs> everybody in Miami was printing. They don't have enough room for, uh, for to, to, to keep Wayne Ellington, and I knew in my heart that was wrong, but I didn't know why. So I came to the unlikely bonuses concept, and uh, I was basically sweating out sweating it out for a little bit until I figured that's that, that's what they had done. So
1: yeah. <laughs> do you have any idea what those bonuses actually are? Have I, you heard that? I
0: do now. Um, I know what the bonuses are. Um, so, uh, Dion Waiters has a bonus for playing, uh, $1.1 $1. $1 million bonus for playing 70 games. Um, Kelly Olenek has a bonus for playing 1,700 minutes. So that's I don't know 21 if he plays all 82 games about 21 minutes a game but probably more like 23 24 uh, if he doesn't um and James Johnson's bonus you know it's a technical salary cap but it had to be a likely bonus so when it when it had to be a likely bonus I I, I knew instantly what that would be it's and I don't I don't have the specifics on it but it's something about his body fat um, but th- that bonus is only about 220 thousand dollars the others are one and 1.5 million respectively so um yeah those are the three bonuses yeah I would also, and, and I would also mention by the way Kelly Olinick has a 5% trade
1: kicker. Yeah, I think I actually had heard that as well. That's a 5% trade kicker. It's, uh, it's almost almost like why I have it at that point, but you know, if that's what it takes to to get him to sign. Um yeah, all right man, well thanks. This is great. We really appreciate you coming on and uh looking forward to following you throughout the season. Uh we'll be back with more later on this week finishing up our team preview Still got the Warriors, Knicks, a uh, few other interesting ones and we will talk to you all then.